When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, 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 and welcome, everybody. This is Tony Richards, your master coach on Better Than Before here on the C-Suite Radio Network, coming to you this week from central Missouri, and so glad that you're able to join me today, and it's going to be, I think, kind of an interesting topic for you. You may or may not know that a lot of my work is done with teams at the top of companies, so it's primarily with CEOs and their team of executives that are running the company and making the executive decisions, and as I often say, when I am typically contacted to come and work with the CEO and their team, they really don't have a team. What they really have is an executive committee because they are typically interested with only their part of what's going on. And that is a large part of their accountability. That's why they're there, right? They're put in charge of operations or they're put in charge of sales and development. They're put in charge of HR, It depends on the industry and the organization as far as where it goes from there. Because they are overseeing a large segment of the company, they are primarily focused on that and not any other parts of the company and not on what their supposed teammates are doing in their part. And so what happens there sometimes is there is a disconnect between those members at the top of the company, and then that creates walls and silos and partitions all the way down. And silos do not start in companies in the middle, and they don't start at the bottom. They start at the top and come down. And so forming better relationships, and let me say this too, that you can only have a team if you have individuals who are very mature. If you have any immaturity at all or lack of maturity development at all, it's going to be very difficult to convince these people to work together. Just like children who are playing with a limited amount of toys, if you're not willing to share the time with the toys and the use of the toys and or maybe say, let's both play with the toy, then you're going to have some kicking, screaming, pinching, and all of that. And we do have that 
sometimes, both metaphorically and otherwise, at the top of companies because they're just not used to having an agenda that is shared. There is some co-opetition at the top of the company. In other words, I'm here to work with you, but I don't want you to do better than me. And so why do I have to concern myself with what's going on over there? Or why do those people need to know what I'm doing over here? And a lot of things like that. So if you have a higher level of developed maturity of the team members, then you can begin to work on forming and developing a really good executive team to help run the company and bring the company to a new level of performance. And so one of the elements in all of that is how that team handles conflict. And we're not talking about avoiding it. We're talking about engaging in it and also trying to make sure that that conflict is healthy, that it is for the good of the team and not emotionally damaging or not distracting or not causing the team to have bigger splits and growing farther apart. But actually, it's trying to find the best course of action, the best ideas, the best thoughts, and to bring those forward to execution for the betterment of the company. And execution suffers sometimes because there isn't a maturity and shared commitment and shared agenda among the executive team members. One of the things that drives that apart, like I said, is conflict. So let's talk about just some common causes. Now, listen, there are very unique situations that come up with executive teams as far as conflict is concerned. And today I'm just sort of boiling it down to just some common causes and some common types of conflict that may occur. But I have been involved in some very deep and complicated sources of conflict in the 20 years that I've been doing this as far as helping these teams and helping the chief executive bring these teams to a higher level of both success and execution. So these are not end-all be-alls, and everybody has a story about what took place in their organization and on their team, of course. But let's just try to generally come up with some things that are going to create some conflict. And then again, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, conflict is going to depend largely on the maturity of the individuals and how willing they are to step out there and engage in conversation over issues that need resolution. One of the biggest things, though, that create conflict among human beings in general and executive team members specifically is a resistance to change, a commitment to keeping the status quo. And sometimes this is due to fear. It's oftentimes due to fear because there's not a guarantee on what will happen on the change. Now, if you've done your homework and put together the case, I like to say, it's the case study for the change, and you've vetted the change, and you've discussed the change, then you've lessened the risk and increased the chances of success, then you're in a better place to do it. But there's always in the back of 
people's minds, there's a resistance there. What happens if this doesn't work? And people get stuck in their habits because they're familiar and easy to follow. It's a path of least resistance because, hey, let's be honest, change creates fear of the unknown. And not everyone is ready to embrace that and go forward. So change can be pressure. Change can be stressful. And a lot of times change can result in conflict between executive members of management. And it's probably helpful to remember, if you can, that some people will naturally go through denial, anger, confusion on their way to finally embracing change. And it's just a common human being reaction to resist the unknown and embrace the known. And so it's not uncommon for this resistance to turn to anger and hostility for that individual on the team who is trying desperately with their fingernails and everything else to hold on to what is versus what is not yet. Like I said, I have a format for creating a case for change that I ask everyone to do when we're considering any kind of change. If it's a large software conversion or if it's a small policy change, it's good to create the case for change because not only are you vetting it out for yourselves and your CEO, but then that case for change becomes the story that you tell to your employees of why this change is taking place. I've seen it happen a million times when the team is confident and calm and relaxed they will become more open to change and they'll become more open to growth and they're less likely to get involved in some change-related, unhealthy, anger-induced conflict. But resistance to change might be the number one reason that unhealthy conflict takes place. Another one, let's call this number two, another one is when accountability is not clear. When you have a job description, and I understand why we have them, and HR likes them, has an overview of the responsibilities and all of that. But sometimes it's really hard to figure out exactly what this person is accountable for from the job description. So I have all the executive team members have an accountability chart for themselves and for all their key reports all the way down the organization that's very clear and very defined. Because when you have unclear job expectations or unclear position accountability, it's really difficult for team members to become top-level performers without some coaching and without some advice. And if you don't specifically know exactly what they're accountable for, then that makes it hard. Every position in an organization, Jim Collins calls them seats on the bus. Every position has a learning curve and a ramp up and a clarity that plays a big role in the future success of that employee. Some people have been in their company and in their jobs for years trying to guess what their manager's expectations are. Other people just forget and quit and move on. But if they're not sure of how they need to perform, then how can they build commitment, courage, and confidence of execution then when they're not really sure what they are specifically and also from an accounting and measurement standpoint, 
specifically what they are accountable for. And so it's hard to build confidence off of that and easy to get defensive. Wouldn't it be easier to be very clear with all the team members from the get-go what you expect and what they're accountable for? That way you can avoid frustration that often turns into unhealthy conflict. So the accountability chart gives them specifics in categories. Let's say a position has five categories that are linked with that position. And inside those five categories, there are specific things that employee or that manager or that leader is accountable for. And then there's some measurement for that. And sometimes that is weekly. Sometimes that is monthly. Sometimes that is quarterly. Sometimes it's annually, depending on the item that the accountability is linked to. But They are the things that the team member has to perform in order to be successful at their job. And I want to talk about this more coming up this year here on Better Than Before. But the company culture automatically improves when everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing and how it is linked to the success of the company. And so clarifying that and clarifying specifically what your one-on-ones are going to be revolving around really helps build their competency and it helps build their confidence. Let's identify a third one that is a lot of source for unhealthy conflict, and that is poor communication. People often say that communication is their biggest issue, and I never think it's that. It's possibly trust. It's possibly the way they handle conflict. It's possibly accountability. It's possibly no results measurement. But hardly ever is it actually communication. Identifying communication is like saying you have a sneezing problem. If you go to your doctor and say, I'm just sneezing all the time, he's probably not thinking you have a sneezing problem. He's thinking, They have allergies, they have a cold, they have the flu, they have pneumonia. There's a lot of different things that may be the problem, but sneezing is not it. And so that's what I'm saying. There might be several different issues here that are the problem. Most often it's a lack of trust, but communication usually isn't it because there are more meetings than ever before. There are more emails than ever before. There's more ways You know, we got social media, we got text, we got email, we've got memos. I mean, there are unlimited ways and things that are coming at us all the time. So how could communication be the problem? Well, what's in all of that is a lack of clarity and perhaps misunderstanding of the message that's being sent. So there are a lot of deeper issues that go along with communication. So the one thing I would say, though, to help with that is try to be as clear and concise as you possibly can when you are trying to send a message to somebody. And also, one thing I like to work with on my executives that I work with is your listening skills. Talking and sending and transmitting is typically not a big issue for most people. The listening is where a lot of times the message gets lost and in clarity. 
And again, it goes back to accountability and expectations on a lot of this stuff. Bad culture or toxic work environment. You know, the way people feel about themselves and others in the workplace, that really affects their productivity. And loving your job doesn't just mean enjoying your everyday issues and tasks, but it also means being part of a community. It also means being part of a family. It also means being part of a group. Inclusion, significance, significance and inclusion are huge for most employees today. And so when companies are going the extra mile and they're trying to do things they can to have the environment that the workers are going to work in the best they can possibly be, then employees feel better about it. Why would you want to work from home if you love the space you have at the office? I get it. Bells and whistles in the office space is not always in the budget, nor is it always the way to create a healthy work environment. So you got to work on building a healthy culture, eliminating the toxic work environment. And a lot of that falls on the executive team and the CEO to make sure that the culture is what it should be. And finally, number five, and this one comes up a lot, and that is differences in behavior and motivation. Any workplace is going to have people united in an effort to bring forth work product. There's going to be different backgrounds, different temperaments, different life and work experiences, different preferences. We don't automatically become friends with everyone we meet. Not everybody likes you, and you don't like necessarily everybody. So it's not realistic that we shouldn't expect all team members to get along perfectly. So it's not a necessary for all your coworkers to be friends, but it is a requirement for them to have a level of mutual respect so that we can create this culture that everybody has an equal chance to thrive in. And it's the leader's accountability. And I'm primarily talking about the CEO. And then his executives or her executives following that lead from the chief executives to set the tone for healthy relationships within a team that has to start at the top. That creates what I call the macro culture, the micro culture within that executive team at the top, that micro culture between those six, seven or eight people is what sets the tone for the macro culture in the organization. And if you understand as an executive, you understand your behavior. If you understand your motivations, if you understand your bias, and yes, every human being has bias. It is impossible to say, well, I'm not being biased right now. I'm unbiased. Impossible. Can't happen. I have these companies that say, well, I have five or six people on a committee that does the hiring and interviewing. I'm like, okay, you got five or six times the bias now because every human being is biased. Well, we're trying to be unbiased. Well, you can try till the cows come home, but you will never be unbiased. Everyone is biased. But going back to my point, if you understand your bias and your behaviors and your motivations and your accountability, then... Your reports and your team members are more likely to 
follow up on that avatar that you're creating and they'll follow the lead all the way down the line. And instead of having unhealthy conflict and silos in the organization, you will actually have a lot of collaboration and communication and co-success. It's really, really important that you understand both your total makeup. I call it the personal leadership paradigm. You understand your personal leadership paradigm and you understand the personal leadership paradigm of your reports, then that will make for healthier and better relationships. And then conflict will be handled in a mature and healthy way. And we will have the best ideas, the best policies, the best direction, the best strategy, and the best execution in this company so we can go forward and all be successful. If you have any questions or any thoughts about conflict that you'd like to share with me or that you'd like for me to address here on the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com, and that will come directly to me, Tony Richards, and I would love to hear your thoughts and ideas. I'd love to hear your experiences, and I'd love to hear your questions on this topic. Thanks a lot for joining me this week. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Tony Richards four. You can subscribe to my free weekly newsletter, the Monday morning memo. If you go to my website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, find the box at the bottom of the homepage, put in your email address and you're in to get my thoughts each Monday morning as you roll into the week. Special thanks as always to our producer, Tessa Hall. And if you're interested in joining our Facebook page, it's Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach, and all you have to do is hit the like button and you're in. So I hope today's show on conflict has been somewhat helpful, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week. And until then, remember, I'm your host, Tony Richards, and that the name of our show is Better Than Before. The name of our network is the C-Suite Radio Network. And also, don't you dare forget that everything gets better when you get better. For listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.